Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. And this is episode 162. And for the next two weeks, I have a great guest for you to meet, David Lee. Now, David Lee is one of the creators of Frasier, along with his partners, Peter Casey and David Angel. He also co-created Wings. And prior to that, he was a showrunner of Cheers and a showrunner of The Jeffersons. So how does somebody get to do all of that? We will meet David Lee. This is a two-parter. Part one, we'll be talking about breaking into the business and working on the Jeffersons and Cheers. And part two, we will devote exclusively to Frasier. So David Lee, our guest this week on Hollywood and Levine. Well, every writer starts out differently. How did you start out? You, you grew up where? I grew up in Claremont, California, beautiful college town about 35 miles east of L.A., uh, one of those idyllic uh, upbringings where, you know, my mom didn't think twice at the age of seven of sending me out for the day with a quarter to go to the movies. I guess that really <laughs> says how old I am. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, uh, you mean $15. Exactly, yeah, yeah. to go to the movies and get a treat. Um, yeah, and uh, I went to uh, went to high school there, and then uh, I, Claremont is a college town, and I didn't want to live at home, so I didn't go to Pomona or Pitzer or Scripps, although those were women's colleges at the time. So I went to the University of Redlands because I wanted to be um, a high school music teacher. Ah. And I was a music major. Ah, okay. Theory and composition. So how does one go from that to being a comedy writer and a director? Well, I'd always had this seed that I was, uh, that I wanted to be in show business somehow. Um, uh, when I was 10 years old, uh, uh, my parents came from Texas and they didn't know anything from the theater or music or that sort of stuff. And uh, I had, an, I had a, an older cousin who told my parents that there was this thing coming to Los Angeles that <clears throat> she thought they should take me to, and they did. And it was the first national tour of My Fair Lady at the since torn down Biltmore Theater in uh -huh. downtown LA. Uh -huh. And I have such a distinct uh, memory of 
10-year-old me sitting in the audience and looking at that and going, I want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) No, there is something magic about that first time you go to the theater and you go, wow, this is... This is a possibility. This exists in the world. Yeah. yeah. Uh, seven or eight years later, I, I I figured that the closest I could get to show business was being a high school music teacher. Um, but the bug, I, I had the bug still. So I switched majors from, uh, from music to theater. Um, and, uh, and basically after I got out of college, I moved to L.A. and started. And this is where the how did I get from that to comedy writing okay. happens. Mm-hmm. I was an actor and a singer and a dancer for a while. And as you can probably guess, that's not steady work. <laughs> and uh, during one of my downtimes, I took a job at a place called Mimeograph, which, again, proving how old I am, it was one of the places that studios would send their scripts every night. Right. And uh, people would type them and then mimeograph, thwackada, thwackada, thwackada. Yeah, it was um, that place and, and Barbara's place. There were two of yes, them. Yes, right. yeah. And when you were writing at night on staff, you had to get the script done by like 3 a.m. in order to let the people at Barbara's place type it up so that it would be ready and printed and ready to go at at 9 o'clock in the morning. So it wasn't bad enough that you were under pressure to fix the script. There was also that ticking clock. Yeah, because otherwise it's just not going to be on the stage. Exactly, yeah. Uh, And uh, I got a job there as a proofreader. And so basically what I did every day for eight hours a day was read movie and TV scripts. Ah. Every variety, every rewrite, uh, and you know during after, the day or during. Or, during oh, so you weren't one of the people there at four o'clock. No, in the I think morning. I got in at six o'clock in the morning. Oh, okay. And uh, at one point, this fellow named Peter Casey was hired as a typist, and he sat right in front of me, and he would hand the pages over his shoulder, and I would hand them back if there was a mistake that needed correcting. And he had moved to L.A. from San Francisco because he wanted to try his hand at television writing. I had never thought of it, never had a writing class. And one day he said, well, you know, you know about acting and theater. And and at that point, I'd had quite a bit of training as a director of theater. Uh, and he said, would you like to maybe team up and 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 try this? And uh, What year was this? This was 1974. Five or seventy seventy five, I think. Okay, and uh, uh, with the hubris that only comes from extreme ignorance, I went well, sure. Uh, and also, having read all these movie and TV scripts, I went, these are horrible. We <laughs> we could do that. <laughs> um, and if nothing else, they would really be well proofread. <laughs> exactly. Oh. No mistakes whatsoever. And uh, we started uh, writing hour-long dramas. Now called procedurals. Uh Uh, There was a show called Petricelli. Right. We did a Barnaby Jones. And at one point somebody said, well, you guys are sort of funny in real life. Why don't you try writing a comedy? So um, we wrote a mash on spec, um, which was uh, 
resoundingly rejected, perhaps by you. No, no, because <laughs> I have all of the rejection letters uh, that that I sent out. Uh, and yeah, there are a few that I look back and I go, oh, I can't believe it. <laughs> the worst was a friend of mine who was on staff of Archie Bunker's place. He rejected the Coen brothers. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, we were also rejected by Love Boat, which, in retrospect, I, I look on as dodging a giant bullet. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we finally worked. Rhoda expressed interest, so we went in and patched to Bob Ellison, among others. Okay, who, who would based be, on your mash spec? Uh, or was no, this we we, spec? we wrote like eleven specs, and I think that was based on a Barney Miller. That we okay. Did. All of them soundly rejected by the shows themselves. And that's usually what happens. Mm -hmm. Um, So we go into pitch to Bob Ellison, who would later work with Peter and me. And uh, when we guest on this podcast. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And uh, uh, they liked our ideas and they said, well, let's, let's, uh, I think we're sort of interested in one of these. And so Peter and I were very excited, went home and I think it was within three or four days that Rhoda was canceled. Oh, <laughs> oh. And so, you know, that there's no particular wrist slitting like that. Almost got their wrist slitting. Yeah. Um, you, but, by the way, did better at Rhoda than, than me and David. Oh we, yeah. We wrote a spec Rhoda. <laughs> we sent it over and it got rejected by the showrunners, and then the showrunners left, and we got rejected by the new showrunner, Charlotte Brown, who is now my neighbor down the block. And Charlotte and Bob are who we pitched to. Yeah, and to this day, when I see her, I'll say, just take another look. <laughs> <laughs> just one more look. Come on, there's something here. Yeah, so... Uh- Within two or three days, the Jeffersons called, and that was sort of like the last show that I thought, you know, um, that Peter and I thought we would be right for, seeing as how we're two of the pastiest white people we've ever seen. <laughs> um, but we went in, we sold an idea, and were hired on as uncredited, lowest rung, lowest on the rung writers, and slowly, over six years, worked our way up to producer, and then... And then Cheers came along. Now, the interesting thing about Cheers is that you guys wanted to go on Cheers, but the Charles brothers were not interested in reading uh, a Jefferson's. Nobody was. Uh, Gary David Goldberg wouldn't read one. We we could not get anyone to use that as a writing example. So So what did you do? Uh, We went, we're going to have to write a spec Cheers. And we wrote a spec Cheers. And I tell you, I give you guys an awful lot of credit because I'm sure there's a lot of writers who, at that point, you had worked your way up to showrunner to go, wait, I'm a showrunner on a CBS show. I don't have to write a spec script anymore for these guys. You would be surprised how many people told us that. What are you doing? Uh Uh, Another pair of writers on the show who will remain nameless said, I can't believe you guys are doing that. Right. You know. You know, your producer on the Jeffersons. What? What? What's up? <laughs> uh, it turned out maybe. You know, do you ever look back on your life and think, okay, that was maybe one of the smartest things that we ever did? I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you do, and you go, whew. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
so we wrote this back. Glenn and Les liked it, had us into pitch. We finally came up with a story, and then uh, uh, and then we weren't able to come over immediately. But the next year that we were hired uh, with uh, David and Heidi to sort of try to take over the mantle of Glenn and Les as they pulled away. David Angel and Heidi Perlman. So you wrote one episode that got produced or they just held it back for a year until you No, we wrote we wrote one episode. The first cheers we did was in the third season called I Call Your Name. It was about Diane um, calling out Sam's name when she's having sex with Frasier. Okay. Um, and, uh, I love that episode. It was fun. It was nominated for an Emmy, actually. <laughs> so it worked out well. And uh, But we were not able to join in the third season. So right. uh, the next season, um, evidently, it was, it was Sam Simon and Ken uh, Esten. Esten were leaving. Mm-hmm. And they were looking for people. And, uh, uh, and they picked Peter and I, luckily. Right. Um, so that would have been season four. Four, right. Mm-hmm. So what was it like that last year on the on the Jeffersons when you guys must have just been counting the days till the end of the season, right? I, I want to be generous. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we were counting the days. <laughs> yeah, I um, mean, wow, there's, there's cheers that's there on the horizon. Yeah, and at a certain point, we knew we had that job, mm-hmm. but we were just still chugging away with Wheezy and George and and the gang. Right. Um, you guys wrote one of my all-time favorite Cheers. You wrote a lot of great episodes of Cheers. But you guys wrote the John Cleese episode. <laughs> <laughs> Spend a few minutes discussing that. Well, um, it was really hard. You, you know how it works. Mm-hmm. Everybody works out the story, and Peter and I went away and went away to write it and um and we had the first table read i remember and the first act went gangbusters and, and i'm sort of pinching myself going oh my god john cleese is here right and, you know it's my one of my heroes and he's reading our words and getting big laughs and then the second act i don't know if you remember this but it just tanked <laughs> and, I, and i do not remember and i remember yeah. um going back to the writer's room and glenn charles sort of staring at his page saying well we've managed to do the impossible we've made john cleese not funny (laughs) that's a real wilter right yes right (laughs) stand up and take a bow (laughs) as the writer of that episode really so uh you know but we did one of our overnight wonders and came up with something and and it turned out to be Pretty damn funny. Oh, it was so. it was amazing, and I I have to say I I tell people this that we always had a dress rehearsal at like three o'clock, and then the actual filming at seven, and the dress rehearsal was never filmed. He was absolutely magnificent in that dress rehearsal, mm-hmm. and he was very good on the show, the one that was filmed. But there was something about that dress rehearsal. Mm-hmm. I just remember standing there thinking, I- I'm in the presence of genius. And you were. Yeah. And John Cleese was there, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys worked your way up to where you became the, the showrunners uh, of Cheers. Uh, yes. Um, with with David, Angel, and, and Heidi. Uh-huh. Uh, and obviously you're in David's help. And... Uh, um, David Lloyd and, and, and the old gang. 
You know? Was it kind of nerve-wracking because, you know, the Charles brothers were sort of taking a back seat? Uh, you know, I know when David and I took over MASH, you know, there was always the ghost of Larry Gelbart and always the feeling like, <laughs> what are we doing here? Uh, yes, Um I don't think I'm telling the story out of school. Peter and I both tell it. But there was one point in the first year when Peter and I went to Glenn and Les's office and said, uh, I don't think we're cutting it. You you can let us go if if you want. Uh, and sincerely, out of out of a sense of I, we're not sure we're up to this, that we're going to be able to do what it is you want us to do, and, uh-huh. uh, or and also to win the respect of the cast, which was very important. Sure. And... Uh, and they went, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a perfect example of getting in your own head so much that, right. that you're right. actually willing to quit the job of the century. Right. It's just building the Jack story, <laughs> as we used to say. Really? Yeah. Really? So. Yeah. Well, in fairness to you guys, Glenn and Les, wonderful. They're just wonderful, lovely people. But they don't heap praise. <laughs> no. On, on people very often. So um, I can certainly see that happening. Well, you know, because we were the newbies. And we'd also gotten word that everyone was sort of suspicious of the guys from the Jeffersons coming over to Cheers. Uh-huh. And so it was like, it's like a, a performance anxiety squared. Yeah. Um, we had a similar thing. The very first episode that we wrote of Cheers. We turn it in, then we don't hear anything. Mm-hmm. And several days go by, and we get more and more nervous. And finally, Les says, okay, tomorrow we're going to put uh, Ken and David's script into Mimeo. In other words, get ready for production. And we thought, okay, well, we'll hear then. And the next day comes, and they say, all right, let's uh, bring in the writer's assistant. Let's go. And uh, page one is fine. Page two, I think we can make a trim. And, da, da, da. and we do the whole thing in like an hour and a half, something like that. And then they just go, okay, uh, now let's work on uh, this outline or that other thing. And never say anything to us. And that night we're walking to our cars and I'm walking with Les. Neurotic writer that I am, I finally say to him, well... Les, did, did you like our script? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, <laughs> you, you guys never said anything about it. I just wondered if, if you liked the script. And he looked at me like I asked the dumbest question. And he said, we kept most of it, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> well, he has a point. <laughs> you know, and it's like, okay, got it. And once we knew that, then, then we were fine. And then we didn't expect to hear on right you know and then we ended up doing 39 more right so i guess they they did like it uh you and your partner peter and david angel decide to form a partnership of your own grub street productions right how did that come about uh, actually one day david angel approached peter and i said you know i'm i'm thinking i want to i want to develop my own series uh, and uh, this was in the, s- the end of the sixth season of Cheers. And uh, and he said, but I don't want to do it alone. He said, we seem to get along pretty well. Do you want to try doing it together? And we went, sure. You know, 
such mighty moments in television <laughs> history. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm not doing anything else. Uh-huh. Um, so, um, so we broke off, and uh, the we basically took a year of sort of like having a life again. Uh-huh. Um, and, and all the while we were developing what would become Wings. Right. What does Grub Street mean? Grub Street, actually, uh, Lynn Angel, David's wife, um, found it. It is um, a street in London that no longer, no longer exists that was where all the... Um, Penny Dreadful writers and, and, and anybody who would just like, I'll write you anything for a shilling. The Boulevard Farceteers, huh? <laughs> yeah, for money. Uh-huh. You know, we'll write for shillings. Um, and, uh, and, and it became a, um, a colloquial phrase. If something was very Grub Street, it would be the same as if we were saying, oh, that's written by a hack. Uh-huh. So we thought it was delightfully self-effacing and mm-hmm. uh, we went for it. So. How'd you come about wings? <laughs> One day somebody said, how about a small airport? Uh, and we all went, oh, okay. Uh, it was, wings was an interesting show in retrospect because when I look back on it, I, I, I think that it was, I know that it was um, the first effort at a sitcom of guys who weren't sure-footed. And so... One of the criticisms the show got was it was that it was Cheers in an airport, which I went okay, I'll take that. But on a on a different level, it was Cheers in an airport in that we weren't we were taking basically that prototype of a a commonplace where anybody could walk in the door, where there are vivid characters mm-hmm. that have interpersonal relationships, and um, uh, it you know it was obviously a completely different show. But it, it like I said, it didn't feel sure footed. Right. Um, but well, your uh, casting took a long time, too, didn't it? A long time. It? A long time. And plus, uh, um, talk about uh, uh, writing and, and trying to get it right. The first, the first episode, the first pilot script we wrote, uh, Brandon Tartikoff didn't like. And our, basically our choice was either walk away from it, which would have, nobody would have been wildly upset. We would have just thought right. of something else. Mm-hmm. Or write another one. Um, and so we went, well, we sort of have this idea developed. Let's write a different pilot script. What didn't he like? Uh, actually, he didn't like what I ended up not liking about it, which is that uh, when you're writing a pilot script, you have to obviously introduce all the characters. You have to introduce the the the, uh, the premise and the way we constructed the first script that we wrote is like we had a scene that did each of those things. Okay, mm-hmm. here's a scene which introduces Joe. Here's a scene which introduces Brian. Here's a scene which tells us about where we are and what the business is. Here's now with the next scene we'll talk about Ned Tucker. The <laughs> next scene we'll talk about Helen. But it didn't have any dramatic drive to it. Uh. And basically it was Les Charles we gave it to. And he, he gave us that and he went, you know... Think of a really good story with a good dramatic drive and then let all the other stuff, who these characters are, let that be the icing on this particular cake and you will will kill two birds with one stone. Uh And that's what we did. So the second one, like I said, you had problems casting. Um, Crystal Bernard, who is fantastic, but I remember the week of the pilot... 
we're going, she has a Texas accent. <laughs> well, Peter and, and David... She, she was supposed to be like, you know, a... Um, a sultry uh, Greek uh, beauty. Right, yeah. Helen Triancas <laughs> was her name. Um, and, uh, and then Brandon was the one who suggested her, and we looked at her, and we really, really liked her, but we went, what are we going to do with that? <laughs> right. So we, we thought of some convoluted reason that she'd moved there after being in Texas for five years with her father who ran the, the cafe and the airport or something, <laughs> which no one ever, thank God, brought up too much because it was just it had Swiss cheese all over that backstory. Uh-huh. Um, but she was great. She was great. The big, the big, the really big trouble with that show is, uh, as as you know, the toughest um, thing to find is two great-looking thirty-something men who are funny. Mm-hmm. And the reason it's hard to find is because when you find them, someone else has already snatched them. That's up. right. That's and right. We, or they're in movies. Or they're in movies. Mm-hmm. And we had to find two of them, and that took a while. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you did it with 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 Tim, Tim and, and, and Steve. And Steven, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it was a, a fun show, and I enjoyed. I was the consultant on it and and wrote on it and um, and got my first directing assignment. Yes, you did. Um, thanks to you guys, and I should say, this man is my mentor. The weekend before I was supposed to start my camera blocking, I went over to your house with all of these like chess players <laughs> and we kind of worked out beat by beat by beat. And I had been auditing Jim Burroughs, Andy uh, Ackerman, um, Jeff Melman, a lot of different directors. But it's really different when you're sitting <laughs> behind that. Yeah, it's sort of like trying to become a good tennis player by watching people do it. Yes, it's exactly. Doesn't, it doesn't read the same when you're up there with the racket yeah, in your hand. Yeah, but I mean, you spent six, seven hours with me, which well, I really, really appreciate. Well, I was happy to do it because I didn't want it to fail. <laughs> <laughs> No, I had a similar experience. Wings was my first. I had been a director of theater, but I'd I'd always been too busy running the freaking show to right. to actually go down and figure out what the camera blocking was. And one day, uh, our our line producer uh, Maggie called up and said, uh, Andy Ackerman, who was directing an episode, had fallen off of a horse and he and he was unable to come in for camera blocking. Mm-hmm. And she said, you've been making a lot of noise about wanting to do this. She went, I would seize this moment if I were you. And so I did, and I arrived on that set. Going, terrified. Right? Terrified, <laughs> not knowing what the hell a camera was supposed to be photographing. And uh, um, But, you know, th- there are a lot of people that help you out. So. Yeah, yeah. And eventually you figure it out. I yeah. mean, it is on a multi-camera show where you have four cameras that are constantly moving as the scene is unfolding, but it's basically math problems, you know? It's well, basically the second half a the puzzle. Week, the second half of the week is. Yeah, but I'm talking about the camera blocking right. part of it. The first half of the week you're doing a play, which I, I know how to right. talk to actors because I was a theater director, I was an actor, you know, and I knew how to do that, but, but the uh, camera part is the puzzle part, and I happen to like puzzles, so it 
Yeah, me too. And when you do start learning it, when it does start coming into focus, it makes it so much easier for you because in those first three days mm-hmm. when you're blocking the show without Don't go the there. cameras. Don't go there. <laughs> exactly. You, you're thinking in your head, how am I going to shoot this? And Are you sure you just don't want to remain seated? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I've made like all the rookie mistakes like my, my first year. You know, I had somebody get up and go across the room without saying a line yeah. and he just jumps across the screen mm. you know like oops you know yeah. made all those those mistakes but you figure that stuff out after one right right and that will do it for part one of my two-part interview with david lee next week as i said before we are going to concentrate exclusively on frazier the making of that show all of the decisions that went into the creation of that show. It is going to be a fascinating episode. So that is next week. But for now, our thanks to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolfert, and Bruce and Jason Miller. Should you wish to email me for any reason at all, and I will write you back, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com is my address. hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. I'm also on Twitter, at Ken Levine, and I'm on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. David Lee, part two, coming up next week. Talk to you then. Bye-bye. Hollywood and the Vine. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.